Your Partner in Success Radio is a free business podcast with host Denise Griffiths. It's all about great stories, conversation, and context to help you move your business and life forward with actionable tips and advice from her guest experts. To listen and subscribe, just find us on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you consume your podcasts. Welcome to your Partner in Success Radio. I'm your host, Denise Griffiths, and this podcast is ranked in the top 2.5% of the most popular podcasts globally. And honestly, it's all because of my incredible guests. And I am honored and blessed to share time with people who are at the top of their game, and they are here with us today and every day to help you get where you want to be in life and in business. These are not people who are going to hold back. Their goal is to share with you the essence of peak performance. And my guest today, I'm so excited, can truly be considered the essence of peak performance. Stephen M. R. Covey is a New York Times and number one Wall Street Journal bestselling author of The Speed of Trust, and it's on my desk. And that book has been translated into 22 languages and has sold over 2 million copies worldwide. He is also the author of the newly released Wall Street Journal bestseller, Trust and Inspire, that's actually the one that's on my desk, I'm sorry. Trust and Inspire, How Truly Leaders Unleash Greatness in Others. And that book, honestly, it's in my left hand as we're speaking. So Stephen brings to his writings the perspective of a practitioner, as he is a former president and CEO of the Covey Leadership Center, where he increased shareholder value by 67 times and grew the company to become the largest leadership development firm in the world. That's big. Stephen, welcome to your Partner in Success Radio. Thank you for sending Trust and Inspire to me. And I'm so glad you're here. We've had a bit of trouble getting both of us here at the same time. So when I heard your voice a bit ago, I, you probably didn't hear me bouncing up and down on my chair, but I did. Well, that's great, Denise, because I did too. Thank you. Well, um, I'm, I'm delighted to be here on your Partner in Success um, and to have this conversation with you. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you. Listen, the book, I am in the habit, you know, I, I broadcast live Mondays and Fridays, and I've got hundreds of books in this room, and every single book in here came to me from people like you, people who are my podcast guests. So every weekend, because I know I'm going to be, you know, I've already scanned the book, I've looked at it, I've, you know, marked a few, few passages, I've got sticky notes in it, but the weekend before, I pot, you know, Monday and Friday, I read the book. So this weekend, and of course today is not Monday because we had that, that holiday and we had to push you out just a little bit, but I had the opportunity over the long Labor Day weekend to really dig into this book. It should have been written a long time ago, shouldn't it? I mean, it's a very important book, I think. Well, thank you. I, I think so as well because it's just describing the kind of leadership that is needed today. And it probably was needed yesterday too, to your point. It's just that we need to lead in a better way. The world has changed all around us, and yet the way we lead is still too much a relic of the past, kind of the old model, and we need a new way to lead. And I'm calling it trust and inspire, you know, in contrast to the old hierarchical, traditional a command and control type leadership, or even a better version of it, an enlightened command and control. But it's not relevant for a new world of work. A new way of working requires a new way of leading. Right, right. And I think we've tried to change this a bit over time. I know that it used to be when my parents were you know, working and my grandparents were working, there was always or it seemed like there was always somebody in that corner office who just said, do what you're told and nobody gets hurt, basically. That doesn't work anymore. We're, not, we're like, what? No, I'll just go somewhere else. Right, especially today when people have so many choices, so many options, you know, with the changing workplace, work from home, work from anywhere, remote work, hybrid work, it just gives people options. And so I like to put it this way, that people don't want to be managed People, rather, want to be led. They want to be trusted. They want to be inspired. Now more than ever before. And so the old way of leading 
where you're trying to manage people as if they were things just doesn't work in this new reality where people have choices and options. And you look at this great resignation and, you know, people choosing to leave and do something different. And, and so if we're going to, if we're going to compete and, and kind of win the war for talent, if you will, and attract and retain and engage and even inspire the best people and bring out the best in people, we've got to do it with a new kind of leadership. The old way won't work anymore. No. And you know what I'm, I'm seeing a lot, particularly on Facebook, and I haven't really looked into it, is something you just mentioned, the resignation. It's, and I'm seeing a lot about a quiet resignation. What is that? Yeah, this so-called uh, quiet quitting. Um, it's, it's interesting because it's not altogether a bad thing. It's basically saying, look, people also have a life. They're a whole person. And so you can't, as an employer, expect that your people will be 24-7 tied to what you're doing. And, and instead, you've got to recognize them as whole people. And so, yes, they, they have a job with you and they, they want to do well in that job. But they also have a personal and family life that they want to do well with that. And it's unfair to expect people to always be on call. And that's where, in this pandemic, some of the lines have blurred between work and home. And, and so quiet quitting itself does not necessarily have to be a terrible thing. Where I think quiet quitting is bad is when it's really not so-called quiet quitting, but more like someone that is disengaged where they quit, but they stay. And they're not giving you their best energies, their best efforts. But we do need to recognize boundaries in, in, you know, and give people the chance to have their own lives as well and because they're whole people. And so it's just, it, it's just a completely new world of work. And this is where you want to have people that are drawn, attracted to be part of your team, your culture. Why? Because they feel trusted and they feel inspired by what you're doing. Then they'll give their best energies, their best work, and, and, and then you'll also serve them well so they don't need to quiet quit because they'll have energy and joy in what they're doing with you. And, and you'll honor borders and, and you, know, you, know, you know, parameters of, of work life and harmony and, and, but because the focus is on the well-being of the people. And that's what's needed today. It astonishes me that we didn't already know this. It makes, when you spell it out like that, it makes complete and total sense. I mean, obviously, we want to have people who we welcome into our vision, they buy into our vision, and then they bring their own circle of brilliance to that vision, and they're helping, and they're not just sitting at a desk clutching their head and saying, is it 5 o'clock, can I go home now? Right. You know, that's not what you want. And you talk a lot about command and control, and I understand what you're you're talking about because I read the book, but for our audience, can you... Talk about that a bit because you talk about command and control and then you move on to enlightened command and control, which you touched on just a bit here. But if you would, go a little bit deeper. Yes. See, I'm using command and control just kind of as a euphemism to describe the old style of leadership. And, you know, historically, if you go back a, a century, it was kind of a, a real authoritarian command and control, you know, in the midst of the industrial age and, and um, very, very hierarchical, very top down. And, and then over time, especially over the last uh, few decades, it has evolved and it's become better. It's become a kinder, gentler command and control. It's become a more sophisticated, a more advanced version of command and control. I call it an enlightened command and control because we brought things like strength into it, which is a really good thing, and emotional intelligence, and even mission, a lot of good things. But still, for, for too many, the paradigm, the mindset for how they view people and how they view leadership is still kind of trapped in the old model of top-down, of hierarchical, and of kind of barking out directions and orders 
and, and, and there's still too much managing people and things as if they were similar. And so that's where we need to shift. We made a lot of progress through the years, but it's been incremental progress within a limited paradigm where we view people like things. And I, I want to highlight that we've got to distinguish between people and things. You manage things and you lead people. And the danger, exactly. start, the danger comes when we start to manage people as if they were things. And in that case, in today's world, we're going to end up with no people and a lot of things if we do that because they, don't, they won't want to be a part of it. They'll go elsewhere. So that's the old model. You know, even an enlightened version of command and control is not going to cut it in this new world. We, people won't go in the right. Well, and that's just it. I mean, I don't know about you. I don't like to be told what to do. I fight with my nav system. She tells me to go left, and I tell her she's not the boss of me. I don't think I'm alone with that attitude. But I was reading. <laughs> no. And, you know, your chapter one, I mean, I couldn't get this highlighted quickly enough. You said that you were at the stage at, um, you share the stage with public seminars with many of your your late father, Stephen Covey, and he would begin almost every session by posing two simple but provocative questions to the audience. And I love this. I wrote this. I started to highlight it in yellow, and I made it pink so I could really find it again. He would ask, by a raise of hands, how many of you believe that the vast majority of the workforce in your organization possess far more talent, creativity, ingenuity, intelligence, and ability than their present job requires or even allows them to to contribute. That's so true. I mean, so many people go to work and they're excited. You know, when they first get the job, they can just see it unfolding. They're going to help. They're going to have a place. They're going to be a big part of how it's going to evolve. And six months down the road, they're telling their wives, I've got to get out of there. Mm-hmm. They won't let me do a darn thing. And I think that's what you're talking about here. It's exactly what I'm talking about, that people have so much more inside of them, talent, creativity, ability, potential, that, that they're not able to contribute. And in some cases, not even allowed to contribute. And yet they've got so much in them, they're not able to give it. And that is enormously frustrating for the person, but also what a loss for the organization to not tap into that kind of talent. And to me, that is a leadership problem. That we're, as leaders, we're not tapping into the, the talent, the creativity, the ingenuity, the potential of our people when they have so much more than they can give, than, to give than they are giving. That's a leadership issue. We're exactly. Not exactly. And listen, I was guilty of that. I don't have employees, you know, regular employees. I have a team. I'm a web developer and I have a digital agency and I have contract employees if you would want to call them that. But when I first started out, I was the person that we've been talking about, just do what you're told and nobody gets hurt, do it my way. And it would get done, but all of, at some point I realized that I was going back and forth, back and forth, and I was being really kind of mean to people. Once I finally got into my head that these people in some arenas were way smarter and better trained than I was, and these days I make it a point to find people who are better trained than I am in a particular, let's say, WordPress or, you know, email marketing or something. I find people, that's what they do, that's their zone, and I let them go. And I'll tell them what I want, and I ask them for advice. Boy, did that change how my business operated big time. I was shocked. I mean, I didn't know I was being such a little snot. I didn't know. Well, that's because most of us are kind of deeply scripted in that old model. Most of us have grown up in it. We've seen it modeled to us. It's kind of part of the culture, part of our systems and structures. So it just seems like that's our native tongue, if you will. And, and, um, and we need to become aware that it doesn't work in this new world. And we need to shift and acquire a new tongue, so to speak, and, and, and learn a new style of leadership that's more relevant for this new world to work. And it's so much more energizing and, and exciting and fun for people. 
to be a part of this, so much more creative, so much more innovative. There's studies out there that show that in a high-trust culture, that people are 11 times more innovative than they are in a low-trust culture, you know, because they have a chance to, to create, and they're, they're not afraid to take a risk. And even, even to make a mistake, as long as they learn and, and get better and, and fail forward, as the, as the expression goes. And, but you can't do that in a low-trust culture. And so that requires trust to be extended to people. And they might make a mistake. They might do it differently than how you would have done it. But you know what? They also might do it better than how you have done it. And maybe we learn something new and different and, and create something better. And maybe they perform better. So this is the power of, of trust and of extending this trust and also of inspiring people. And the very act of trusting people inspires them. And, and so, and just like you experience, the whole new world, I think that's true for any leader in any organization. If they lead in this new way, I'm calling it trust and inspire, in contrast to the old command and control, that you'll unleash the potential, the talent, the greatness that's inherently inside of people. That's the opportunity. It was amazing for me. I mean, once, and I didn't realize I was creating a low culture type of a thing. I was just being mm-hmm. me. You know, I'm the oldest of a bunch of kids. I'm bossy. I'm going to do it my way. <laughs> but it cool. didn't work. It did not work. But once I switched that one thing and said, you know, this is where you're an expert. Tell me what you would do differently instead of me going, that's not what I wanted. Or I didn't tell you to do that. So instead of getting all ticky with people, I would say, huh, tell me more. That changed everything. That's beautiful and powerful, Denise. Now tell me more. What's your opinion? What do you think? And, you know, just really being open, genuine, vulnerable, but tapping into the strengths and talents of others, wanting that, trying to have people um, volunteer it and unleash the potential, the greatness, that that talent that's inside of people that my father would start his, his seminars with, that they have more talent to give and we're not getting it. But you just, the example you just gave, Denise, of yourself, you learned to tap into that when you shifted the way that you were leading, your style of leadership. And, and, um, and what I also love about it is you shifted your style. You recognize that the way that you were doing it wasn't as good as this new way where you tapped into the creativity and the talent that people had. And you, you were not your style. You could change your style. You first have to become aware of it, but then you shifted it to something that was better. And that's the opportunity that we each have today is to adopt a style of leadership that is more relevant for our world. We are not our style. We can change our style of leadership and we can move from maybe we've been in the past a version of command and control we can move and become trust and inspire like you have and like others well, have. it didn't right and it didn't take much it was just me saying there was a lot of back and forth and it was starting to irritate the bejeebers out of me i'm a busy person i don't want to keep saying the same stuff over and over and over again i was the bottleneck no question and once I recognized that I was the problem, that they were just trying to make me happy, I didn't want to be happy. I wanted the work done. <laughs> you know, that would make me happy. But once I said, okay, well, let me think about this. We're doing too much back and forth. There's too many emails. There's too many nitpicking things. I was the nitpicker. I had my hands up. I was nitpicking. But I didn't really realize it. And once I started reading back and, and realizing that these people who had loved working with me, all of a sudden they were getting a little testy, they were getting a little bit, eh, I recognized who was at fault. It was me. So I had to change. I had to realize that I brought them on board for a reason and I wasn't letting them do their best work. Let me tell you, that hurt my feelings. <laughs> it did. I had to sit with myself in a corner for a while and say, bad Denise, 
But after that, it didn't take long. It just didn't because I recognized that I was actually basically to their faces in one way or another telling them that they were incompetent. They were mm-hmm. far from it. And I still feel bad. This was you know, 10, 15 years ago that I changed this. Yeah. I still feel bad about it. I don't do it. But boy, it stuck with me. Yeah, well, 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 I love your story because really this book is about each of us trying to make that kind of change, that kind of transformation where we shift our style. And I loved what you said that you didn't realize it, that you, you had to become aware, self-awareness on this, that, that you were the bottleneck, that it was you and you had to change. That takes humility, which you modeled there. And it takes courage, but you, but you did that, and then then you unleashed and are unleashing the potential and the talent of of the people around you, and it's just such a better way to lead. It's better for everyone, for your for you as the leader, but also especially for your people, and you get better results and outcomes. But you got to have that self awareness and and also the humility to look at this and to say it's me and I need to change, and then the courage to do it. I'll share another example that, like you, of a leader that did this. It's um, Ralph Thayer. He's the owner and chairman of Johnsonville Sausage. Now, they're one of the leading sausage companies, makers in the world. Don't they, they have brats, right? Johnsonville brats? Absolutely. Yes. Right. I thought I knew them. They're one of the leaders in the world. And, and um, good, good people, good company. And finally, um, it was a few, number of years ago where Ralph Thayer realized that while they were doing fine, that their culture was not as robust as he thought, that there was less energy, less joy. And he, and he came to realize that he was trying to kind of micromanage the organization, oversee everything, and that people weren't growing and developing because, again, he was kind of overseeing everything nitpicking, to use your word, micromanaging, I think was his word, and that without that, there was no growth. And so he, like you, had to kind of look in the mirror and say, I'm the problem. I need change. And like you, he made a change and became far more trusting. And again, there wasn't a blind trust. It was a marked trust, but expectations and accountability began to let go, began to push decision-making down, began to really empower people, extend trust to people, and they performed. And they did far better. The company did better. The culture did better. And it was a complete transformation to the point where he now says this, because now the people feel like they're growing. And he said, no, other companies use, other companies use their people to build a business. But at Johnsonville, at Johnsonville, we use our business to build our people. So he's viewing the growth of their people as actually one of the ends of their business. But it took him kind of transforming his style of leadership to do that, just like you did. The examples are everywhere. We need those kind of examples because I still believe this, and the data shows that, it's, that what I'm about to say is accurate, that still the vast majority of organizations today are operating still in a version of command and control. It's an enlightened command and control, but it's still – about nine out of ten organizations are still in command and control. And we need to move why, the question. Yeah, why is that? I mean, it's it wasn't an easy thing for me, and I'm just one person with a small team. So I can imagine how difficult it would be for, you know, somebody like the gentleman you just described. But we do have to know that this is going on. So, And you're saying that still there's a large, large percentage of of companies that are still operating the old way that maybe trying, if I'm hearing correctly, maybe trying to, you know, put a fit out and go, let's see if this will work. Oh, that didn't work. You know, I don't know what they're doing, but it would seem to me that people would be flocking to this book and that your teachings to say it's not really working. Company's fine. Fine is a bad word as far as I'm concerned. If, what I want to hear is the company's growing and thriving, but there, do you think more and more people will say, you know what, I'm the bottleneck. This isn't working. You know, do I need to 
step down? Do I need to step aside? Do I need to, you know, have lunch with my employees? What do I need to do? Right. They need to do what you did, which is become aware of this and then have the humility to say, I need to change. And then to say, I can change. I can shift my style. And, and this book is all about helping people shift that style so that they can have a style of leadership. I call it trust and inspire. That's just far more valuable, more relevant for our world of work today and for these younger generations, millennials and Gen Z and, and others in this new world of work to, to lead in a better way. But they can do this. But it's kind of, I, I'm with you. A big part of this book, I kind of asked this question. Don't we already know this? <laughs> I mean, this feels like, of course. Of course yeah, once I read it, I was like, well, duh. I really did. Yeah. I was like, duh. duh. We yeah. should know this. This is absolutely, yeah, yeah. this is not mind-boggling. Why don't we operate like this? Yeah. Let me give three quick reasons why. First, we're kind of like fish who discover water last. We're so, you know, the fish are so immersed in the water, they're unaware that they're in water. They're unaware of its presence. And, and we're, we're, you know, we're so immersed in this, we're sometimes not even aware. So gaining that self-awareness like you did, like Ralph Steyer did and others, is vital. Because we're, sometimes we're not even aware of how we're leading in our leadership style. But here's a second one. In some ways, we kind of know this, but we're not always doing it. And to know and not to do is not to know. So the no-do gap can be pretty big here. And, and there's still a gap in this because we're so deeply scripted in this old style of command and control. But we've become better. It's become an enlightened version of it. And we think that that progress that we've made from authoritarian command and control to enlightened command and control is sufficient, and it's not. But finally, I will say this, that old paradigms, can live on indefinitely. And we had an old paradigm and scripting of, of a kind of a top-down style of leadership that's just permeated, and it kind of lives on for a while. It's kind of like the old bloodletting in medicine that, you know, is started with the Egyptians. Uh, Leeches. Yeah, 3,000 years ago, and then it moved on into all kinds of different, for the last 3,000 years. Well, it was actually disproven in the 1600s, that bloodletting doesn't work, and yet it remained common practice for another 250 years after it was disproven. Because the old paradigm was so deeply kind of founded in the culture and in the practice of medicine that it just persisted, even though it didn't work. And, and um, in a sense, the command and control is modern-day bloodletting. <laughs> it just kind of persists and lives on and people are so deeply scripted in it that they're not aware of it. They're not recognizing how, how um, stifling it is and how limiting it is. And, and um, we've just got to shift out of it altogether into a new style. And so I think part of how we make the shift is it's not enough to say we know what we need to move from, which is the top-down hierarchical leadership. We also have to become clear of what we need to move toward. And that's where I'm trying ah. to name there it is. Trust yep. and inspire. Right, right. I, I know in your, your book you talk about nothing fails like success. And when I read that, I went, oh. And I didn't go any further because I wanted to sit with that little headline. And then I thought, well, that's where you get kind of stagnant, isn't it? That's where you just don't go any further. You know, everything, like we said earlier, everything's fine. We're doing okay. But then you talk about Blockbuster, which is, boy, is that a compare and contrast tale. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the whole premise is that you've had all this success. You know, you've got these challenges. You come up with a good response to those challenges. And that it represents success. But then over time, the nature of the challenge changes. And if you continue on with your once successful response to a new challenge, that's not going to work. So the premise is nothing fails like success. So the old things that used to work so well aren't going to work in this new world of work. The old way of leading that might have brought us to this point aren't going to work to take us to the next point 
To paraphrase Marshall Goldsmith, he said, what got you here won't get you there. And I'll say the same thing with leadership. That I just was on a on a, on a podcast event with Martin, or excuse me, with Martin, yeah, Martin Lindstrom and Marshall Goldsmith. And Marshall, we talked about his very point, that the style of leadership that may have brought you here won't get you there to where we're going. And so that what might have been success in the past, the old way you used to lead, is not going to represent success in the future. It won't get you there. It might have brought you here, but it won't get you there, where we need to go. And that's another way of saying nothing feels like success. So we just need to rescript ourselves with a more relevant, empowering style of leadership for our times, just like you did, just like Ralph Steyer did, and many others are doing this, and many companies are doing this. Like, this is what Microsoft has done the last seven years to revitalize their company under the leadership of Satya Nadella, they literally um, revitalized themselves. Now, they were, they were always a big company and had a lot of market share and the like, but today they're just far more relevant than ever before. They've got a great culture that is a magnet for talent. They're innovating like, like crazy. And it's because they have literally, they've shifted from a, a you know, traditional model to a trust and inspire type model. Under Satya Nadella, Cheryl Batchelder, she turned around Popeye's Chicken, the fast food franchise, under the same basis of with her style of leadership. It was very much a trust and inspire style and revitalized the entire organization. And so this works for CEOs, but it also works for each of us as, as individuals and as leaders on our teams or even in our homes or in our, in our communities. So you just said exactly what I was thinking. In fact, I was going to ask you about that or make the observation that we're all leaders at some level. I mean, we are, whether we're parents, stay-at-home mom, whatever it is that we're doing, we have to lead at some level. And some days we lead more and some days we're like, can somebody take over now? I'm tired. But we all have leadership capabilities, whether we're the lowest point, you know, the lowest guy on the team whatever that team looks like, and we're working our way up, or we're the, the boss, we all have leadership that should, in my opinion, be honored and exploited. Beautiful. I couldn't agree more that, in a sense, leadership is not a position. Leadership is a choice. And it's, how, it, it's what we do and how we do it. It's who we are. And so you lead yourself, you lead your life, and you can lead in relationships. And you don't even have to be the, quote, the boss, if, if you will. You can provide leadership in any role. And as a, as a parent, as an aunt or uncle or grandparent or in a community, as a friend, as a neighbor, even as a team member, you can provide leadership to your team, even if you don't have the role of team leader. And, you know, because it's, it's who you are and it's, it's uh, what you do and how you do it and you're modeling, you're going first. So if you want more respect in the workplace, then you're the one that goes first and models respect, showing, demonstrating respect for others. If you want more openness and more transparency, then you go first and you model openness and transparency. And if you want more trust, then you go first and model extending trust to others because you can't have trust unless you're willing to give trust. You have to both earn it and give it. And so leaders go first, and each of us can go first in modeling the behavior. And that, that's empowering because if we, if we kind of say, well, look, Stephen, you don't know my company. <laughs> We're really command and control. <laughs> you know, my company is filled with compliance and all this regulation is very command and control. I acknowledge that's probably the case for many of us, but you can go first in your role, even if it's, if it's as a team member or a team leader or a department head, you can be a trust and inspire department head in a command and control company and begin to bring about change by your modeling and your modeling then can become mentoring to others and help show that there's a better way to lead. 
in our world today. And we all need this, no matter our role, our responsibility. And a big part of the book, I actually make the point that the key to becoming a trust inspired leader is to first become a trust inspired person. And, and that's that, chapter yeah, five. Right. I'm looking at, at chapter five, modeling who you are. And I wanted to say too, while you were talking, and I'm trying not to interrupt you because I'm scribbling notes and I'm, I'm really fascinated listening to you, but you don't have to be a leader in an organization or in a school. You can be a passerby and be a leader. I mean, look at the videos that pop up on social media. Somebody threw a cat or a dog out of a window, and you'll see these these videos where somebody stopped, picked up the poor, you know, hurt animal, and they walk you through what they did to help it. They get millions of views. People want that kind of leadership, that kind of kindness and compassion. And to me, leadership doesn't have to be something you're you're thinking about doing every single day. I'm the leader, I'm the leader, I'm the boss, I'm in charge. I'm not in charge of anything as far as I can tell, and I know that. But I like to think I am, but I'm really not. But we can be leaders at any point during any day if that's who we are. And if the need arises, all we have to do is step up. Then we can go back to doing whatever we were doing before that. Um, what I'm trying to say is it's not I have to be on all the time. I have to be in leadership mode all the time. I think that will kill you with stress. Talk about bloodletting. You'd be, you know, <laughs> head to the doctor to say, my blood pressure is going through my head. Fix me. Right. Right. Yes. No, you're right. And and you're really just highlighting that this is less about a position and more about your influence. And and um, do your best to be a model, not a critic. You do your best to be a light, not a judge. And you're you're just going first. And in this it's it's not this, you know, grandiose position about your rights. Leadership is about responsibilities of serving and caring about people, about others, about causes of, of showing empathy and, and, and compassion and love and just really, again, going first. I'll give you just a, a, an example. I just heard this story this week from um, a, a woman named Heather who is a producer of a podcast. I, I'm reluctant to use her full name just because I haven't received permission yet. I'm going to ask for permission. But she just gave the example of her first grade child going through this, this uh, leadership curriculum in their elementary school where her first grade daughter added to the curriculum. She, she went in and had the courage to go into the principal and say, let's add one more thing to this curriculum. And that is this, start a chain reaction. And her comment was, if someone is kind to you, then you be kind to another. And let's start a chain reaction. Here's a first grader leading <laughs> the entire school, leading the administration by saying, let's start a chain reaction around kindness. And I was just touched by that story because that first grader is not in a position of, you know, not in a position of leadership, and yet she is a leader with her. And she's paying she attention. Is. Absolutely. She's paying a lot of attention to what's going on around her, what works yeah. and what feels kind of if. Right. And you know, that's leadership as a first grader. Isn't that powerful? It is. And I hope you can get her name and share it with me, and I'll share it with my I'm, my I'm social media because I would love – and when it's ready, I don't know if it's out there yet. When it's ready, email me. I'd love to go hear it. Okay. Let's do this. I, I, I agree. And the thought just came to me, and I'm going to get permission, but I wanted to share it generically, and then we'll get more ex- explicit about it later. So. Perfect. <laughs> That's perfect. What, what do you have, Stephen? I mean, we're – we're talking a lot about culture and we're talking a lot about who we should be as people to be leaders. 
you know, how we should model ourselves. We can't model anybody else if, if our interior culture is a mess. We just can't. Or if we are modeling that, we're probably not doing the world much good. And unfortunately, yeah. you know, these days when everybody's mad or upset or hurt or angry, there are a lot of keyboard warriors out there just, I wish their key, keys would just fall off. I wish they would stop. I really do. <laughs> but how can people come to you, whether they are in any kind of what they would consider leadership role? We all are. I'm, I will say that with my dying breath. We're all in some kind of leadership role. Our cats are. Our dogs are. Our pets are. They can teach us. We can teach them. Listen, this podcast, I get to meet people like you every Monday and every Friday. And at some point during every episode, every live episode, I'll write down something that you said. And 10 years down the road, I'm still going to remember it because it made such an impact. And that's why people need to find you wherever they're at in what they think they're is their leadership role. They need to understand that leadership is, as you said, it's an attitude. It's who you are. It's not a role. It's not a job. And I think that's where a lot of people get stuck. Well, I'm not in a leadership job. Well, I'm not in a sales job either, but I sell all day long. Watch a three-year-old. You think we're not all selling something? What three-year-old doesn't get his own way every stinking time? You know, it's just, it's who we are. It's how we operate. So if we can shift how we operate and how we compare and contrast with others, I think the world would just be a easier place to be in right now. It absolutely would. And we need this in our world today because um, we're, there's not enough understanding. There's not enough trust. There's not enough inspiration. There's not enough respect, not enough empathy. And we need this. Someone needs to go first. So here's just a couple of thoughts I have to help each of us become this kind of leader. It starts with our paradigm, our mindset of how we view people, how we see people. So if you start with this, I, I call these the fundamental beliefs of a trust-inspired leader, and I'll just go through two of them about how they see people. The first is that you say this, people have greatness inside of them. I'm trying to see the greatness, see the potential, not just in the so-called high potentials in the organization. That's the way the organization looks at it, but in everyone. See the greatness inside of people. And so if I buy that, then my job is to unleash that potential, not to try to control people. And I see people as whole people, meaning that they have a body, a heart, a mind, a spirit. They're a whole person. So my job as a leader is to inspire not merely to motivate. If people were just economic beings alone, then motivation would be sufficient. But they're whole people. So inspiration is a higher level. You know, to, to, breathe, to inspire means to breathe life into. And so you're, you're, you're igniting the fire that's within people. Ignite that fire within. That brings out the best in them. So I love this. You know, just, it's just how I view people that I see the potential. And then I try to communicate the potential to them so they come to see it in themselves. And if all you do that is for a child, that's enormous. Or what if you do that for a colleague or a peer or a friend? To see their potential, to communicate their potential, that's leadership because they come to see it in themselves. And then you develop it and you try to unleash it. And, and um, I love how, I think it was Emerson who said, it's not what we look at that matters. It's what we see. And do we see the potential, the greatness in people? That's leadership. And then when you communicate that, so they come to see it in themselves, that's leadership. And then you develop it, that's leadership. And then you unleash it, that's leadership. And, you know, and that, that does not require a position to do any of that. So we learn to treat people according to their potential, not merely their behavior. And you help bring out that potential. That's maybe a start how we see people. Well, and one of the things that I'm scribbling as you're talking that I wrote down was 
when when you see potential in somebody and you try to share with them that you you see their potential and you understand their their potential don't get upset when they don't get it right away they just don't i've had many many instances where somebody said something to me that was just so oh my god that was over the top thank you but i didn't believe it until i heard it often enough that i went okay Maybe they're seeing something that I am just not seeing. Another sit in the corner, have a talk with yourself moment, Denise. And it it took a while. I mean, I've had some people say truly wonderful things to me or about me, and I'm like, oh, that's nice, and off I'd go. (laughs) How wrong of me was that to belittle their contribution? I mean, that was just wrong, and I'm not proud of it. Right, right, and... So and sometimes it takes a while, is my point. You can, might, you can be a leader, and it may not take right away, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, it may not, especially especially if the person has seen themselves differently. And maybe maybe you see something in them that they don't yet see in themselves. And so for That's you to what I was trying to say. That's it. Yeah, but, that, but for you to communicate that, they might not get it, or they might think, well, they don't really know me, <laughs> or, or you know. But but you stay with it, and you stay believing in the person, and then communicating that belief in them consistently, and in such a way that over time, they maybe start to come to see it in themselves, and it may take some time, especially if they don't have that self confidence yet. I know for me. Um, I've had leaders like that in my life, Denise, and I bet you have too. You kind of just said that you have had people say this, and maybe you didn't fully get it at first. But over time, you may have started to say, huh, maybe I can do this. My father and my mother both were such leaders in my life as, as parents. They saw potential in me I did not see in myself. But over time, they helped me come to see it. My first boss, John Walsh saw potential in me that I did not see in myself. And it took me some time, but over time, because of this person's belief in me and the way that he communicated his belief in me, I began to see that potential in myself, and, and I lived up to it. He treated me according to my potential, and I lived up to it, and, I began, and that was leadership. So I'll bet for most of our listeners – and for, for, for you, Denise, for me, that most of us could point to a person in our lives who, who believed in us, who had confidence in us, who gave us a chance, who took a chance on us, gave us an opportunity, maybe believed in us more than we believed in ourselves. And I just asked in such a case, you know, maybe it's a, a parent or a family member or a coach or a clergy or a friend or, or a leader at work, with such a leader, someone that believed in, in you, what did that do to you? How did that change how you saw yourself over time? You know, that, that is, that's, that's trust and inspire leadership. Right. Well, you said and, it. I needed to live up to it. Yeah. It had been pointed out to me, and all of a sudden I was saying, well, why am I just sitting here? I've got stuff to do. I need to live up to this. Yeah, do you need to be managed with such a leader that believes in you that way, or do you want to just live up to it and show that that trust and confidence they place in you is justified? No, right. It brings out the very best in us. To be trusted is the most inspiring form of human motivation. It brings out the very best in all of us. Now, here's what I would ask our listeners just like maybe someone was like that for you, maybe you had a trust and inspire person in your life or figure in your life, what if you were to become such a trust and inspire person for another? So think of just like someone was this way for you, what if you could be this kind of person for another person in your life where you believe in them you help them come to believe in themselves the way you do, whether it be a child or a niece or nephew or someone at work. 
or someone in the neighborhood or in the community, and you are leading by how you see them and how you communicate their worth, their potential, their greatness, their talents, so they come to see it themselves. That's leadership. That's being trust and inspire for another. Right. And if you can do it with one, you could do it with another and then another. And you exactly. Exactly. While you were, were saying that, I was mentally flipping through my I, – I use index cards a lot. I love them because I can write on them, cross something off, and then shred them. It's a whole little thing I've got going on. But yeah. I have a lot, a lot of people that I have been blessed by exactly what you're talking about. And you know what? It just occurred to me listening to you that at no point can I recall saying to myself, well, who can I inspire? Who can I show trust with? And it, you know, I assume that I do it unknowingly, but I'm really doing it unthinkingly, which is I want to change that. I want to be aware of who I'm appreciative of and who I trust and admire. And I want them to know that. Beautiful. I love it. Is if you are intentional about this and deliberate, and maybe you identify one relationship where you'd like to kind of even transform that relationship and how you relate to that person and maybe you and become this kind of trust inspired person in their life. It's just amazing what it can do. And the reason I, you know, I, I highlight this because while this book is all about becoming a trust inspired person and leader in all aspects of life, I often find it's easier to start with just one relationship and, and just to give people the experience of doing it with one. And they say, wow, this really works. And, and this is a better way to lead. And look how it is bringing out the best in them. And they're starting to see their potential in a way that I do. And they're starting to live up to that potential, becoming their best self. And I just did it with one. What if I were to focus on doing it with others and becoming this kind of leader naturally and with everyone. And that's the ultimate goal, of course, is that we become trust inspired leaders in all aspects of our life. But I often find that maybe chunking it down and doing it in one relationship and having success there is a great way of creating excitement and hope and optimism that this really works and it's a better way to lead. And you can Sorry about that. Did I lose you? I'm still here. Okay. I'm pushing buttons. Um, sometimes we just have to prove it to ourselves. We're like, nah, that's not going to work. Ah, I don't know about that. And then all of a sudden, like, well, hot dog. That worked. Put it in the south. Hot dog. But, you know, it just, <laughs> sometimes we just have to prove it and say, well, that was measurable. I like that. Let me go do it again. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and here is where I say, go first. Don't wait on anyone else being this for you. You go first. Be it for somebody else. That's what leaders do. Leaders go first. And everyone can be a leader. And, and uh, this is the kind of leadership that is needed in our world today. Oh, no kidding. We've only got a few minutes. I knew this was going to go fast. I'm, listen, I would love for you to come back if you would. I mean, there's so much in here that I would still love to talk with you about and unpack. And if you've got time to come back in a few weeks or next month or something, I would really love for you to come back. I'd love to come back, but I've got to finish that story. I've got to give you the details once I get permission, you right? <laughs> you do. What I want to talk with you about, don't let me forget, is there's, an, there's a um, chapter in here about trust and inspire athletic coaching. And that really grabbed me and I'll tell you why and it's because of Jim Tunney NFL Jim Tunney he's known as the Dean of NFL Referees he's one of my favorite people in the world I talk with him every day he's a very dear friend and he's been writing a lot about you know how people are just kind of unraveling in sports and how they they behave themselves and misbehave themselves and that has a lot to do with leadership on and off the court or on and off the field and I really wanted to go into that with you. But finish your story, please. Don't let me interrupt you anymore. Just say, hey, Denise, stop. No, I love your, your – you're not interrupting. You're, you're having a conversation. And, 
as I'm saying, as giving a story, you're coming up with examples and ideas at the very point. And so I love that. And yes, this whole, I think that athletic coaching is maybe the last bastion of acceptable command and control. But even there, it's becoming less acceptable because the norms are shifting. And you, you ask a lot of coaches today, and they have to coach in a different way than they did even 10 years ago, maybe even five years ago, because the norms are shifting. You can't just stand up and berate your players like too often was done in the past. And so there's been a lot of coaches like this. Tony Dungy in football was a trust and inspire coach. Bill Walsh was a similar trust and inspire coach. The John Wooden. John Wooden. Yeah. Trust and inspire coach. And, you know, Becky Hammond in, in basketball. And, and there's been many. And this is a far better way to bring out the best in our athletes. And yet that's kind of been, you know, the last bastion of command and control. And we've all seen it. You go to the little league games and even see parents that are just barking out the orders to their, you know, seven-year-olds, <laughs> you know, from trying to relive their, their childhood dreams type of thing. And, but just, just uh, not, not the best way. No, and they can't get officials these days. Nobody wants to be on the field with some of these, I'm going to call them feral parents. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's really bad. Stephen, we are, we've only got three more minutes, and I'm so happy you'll come back and, and join me again. Before I let you go, is there anything that you want to share with the audience before I cut you loose and let you go back to your your real job instead of talking with me all day? Oh no, I, I I would I love talking with you. I would just say this that just a couple of practical takeaways. Um, the first is to go first. Don't wait on anyone else. So be a model and and then you can become a mentor. And even if you got command and control all around you, you'll be a model of trust and inspire. A second thing would be focus on seeing the potential and the greatness inside of people. You know, that growth mindset for everyone. That's how Satya Nadella did it at Microsoft. He had a growth mindset for all. You know, Carol Dweck of Stanford had that idea of the growth mindset. So have a growth mindset for everyone. See the potential, the greatness inside of others, and help them come to see it in themselves. And then finally, I would say this is find the ways to trust more, to extend more trust to people. Because you could have two trustworthy people that are working together, both trustworthy, and yet no trust between them, even though they're both trustworthy, if neither person is willing to extend trust to the other. So if we want to build more trust in our relationships, yes, we have to be trustworthy. We earn that. But we also need to be trusting. We give that. And we need to both earn trust and give trust. And I think the greater need is to become more trusting as people of each other, what that does to others and how they are inspired by it, how they rise to the occasion, how they perform better, and how they will reciprocate and give it back to us. And we'll build more trust in our world. We need that today. So those are three practical tips. Go first, see the potential, the greatness in others, and become more trusting. Be the first to extend trust to others. That one, I'm writing that down. We definitely want to talk about that. Trusting is difficult for a lot of people. It it really is. And I tend to go with my gut. I can, and I'm pretty good at it. I don't know if it's an empathy thing or EQ rather than IQ, but I tend to know who I can trust and who I'm like, nope, you are not stepping across my door jam. Go away. But that's, that's something I'd like to go a little bit deeper in, how to trust other people. And basically, Stephen, I think what you're saying is by trusting other people, you're trusting your own instincts, your own thought process. Is that close to what you're thinking? It's a big part of it, absolutely. And, and, you know, and I'm not advocating a blind trust. It's just indiscriminate of anyone and everyone. It's got to be a smart trust where you assess the situation, what am I extending trust on, assess the risk, and you assess, you assess the credibility of the person or the people involved. 
And then you, you, you extend the trust with expectations and with accountability. I call all this smart trust. So it's not a blind Perfect. trust, it's a smart trust. And right. I do think we need to become more trusting generally, just in a smart way. So yes, that's maybe something we can go deeper into. Well, very definitely. Right now people are worried about everything. I mean, they don't want to get out of their car to go put gas in the car in some places. Yeah, there's just a lot of, some of it might be genuine, you know, genuinely, I, I, I lost the word for it, but that fear might be where it needs to be. And other people, I was talking with somebody this morning, she, you know, we were talking about masks and COVID and all the things that have been going on. And she said she was in a park far away from this other woman. She and her friend were in the park not just recently, a week or so ago, walking. And this woman who had a mask on, which is fine, it's her, her choice, started screaming and ran away from these two women. That was highly irrational, I think. Mm-hmm. But that's kind of where we're at. So trust, yeah. and I really do want to go deep into this because it's something we need to let back into our lives if, if and you know, as we can. Yeah, because it's being taken way. away from us in a smart way. That's in exactly right. We, we, yep. we, we live in a low trust world, and we need to find the smart ways to counteract that and build high trust relationships, even in a low trust world. And what we can do there, is bring that's it. See, you said it for me. Yep. Well, that's what that's a big part of this trust and inspire book. I, I, I talk about three stewardships. And one of those stewardships, the first one we've been talking about, modeling. The, another stewardship, the second one is trusting and how we build high trust in a low trust world, how we do it in a smart way. And the final one is inspiring. So maybe, maybe in our next one we can talk about trusting and inspiring since today we focused heavily on the modeling around going first. We did. We did. Um, that's kind of, I got, not stuck, but that's where I found myself the most fascinated on my first go-round with the book, and I will be reading it again. There's just too much to you know, read it once and then put it back down. I have to read this multiple times. Most people well, should. Thank you. I love it. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, I mean, there's a, a lot to unpack in here, and it all, I mean, it makes so much sense to me. Remember I said, well, how come we yep. didn't know this? It's so it's there. It's right there. But we'll definitely talk about the next two components. Absolutely. Beautiful. Wonderful. Well, thank you. And I, I hope our listeners have enjoyed this. And I hope you'll enjoy the Trust and Inspire book. Because oh, I, yeah. I really tried to write it in a way that is practical and accessible for everyone. No matter your role, uh, your responsibility. As a, I wrote it to, to you as a human being. It's an easy read, Stephen. You wouldn't think that. I mean, this is a a nice, hefty book. It's not one of those things you go, oh, geez, I'll never make it all the way through it. But once you start reading it, it's an easy read because it is written to me, to you, to everybody else. It's not not like we have to grab our thesaurus and say, I don't know what he's talking about. It's an easy read. It's easy to absorb, and it's easy to maintain those thoughts because they make sense to us. It's a very logical book. Yeah, thank you. I so appreciate that. Oh, my pleasure. Listen, it is, before I let you go, where can people find you? Yes, um, go to trustandinspire.com. Trustandinspire.com. And you can get the book there through your favorite retailer, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, whomever. But also there's some tools and some videos and things that you can see that will be helpful to you, hopefully, in your life that you can just access. I'm also on social media, on Facebook, um, on Twitter, and and, uh, Instagram, at Stephen M. R. Covey, at Stephen M. R. Covey, on LinkedIn. You can follow me there. So any of the social um, media uh, channels or platforms, and then uh, uh, trustandinspire.com. Is probably the great resource. And I, again, I really hope that uh, our listeners will will enjoy the book and find it helpful for this new world we're operating in, in a practical, tangible way of not just leading but living in this new world. 
Exactly. And I have to tell the audience before we end this, your publicist or your um, your PR people had sent me the book. And when I spoke with you during the pre-interview, I was telling you that I love to have autographed copies of these books because in this room I have hundreds of books, all of them from people like you, hundreds of them. And almost all of them, I'd say 90% of them, have been you know little notes written in them by the, the author. And darned if you didn't write me a beautiful note in the book, then you wrote a note card, and you sent me new books, and I have two of them, and I'm not giving anybody else that extra one. It's not That's the one I marked up. The one that you wrote in, it's pristine. So I have two of them, and thank you for that. Well, we had such a, a wonderful um, discussion before this podcast to kind of just get to know each other, talk through this. I I felt inspired by that, so I wanted to personalize a book for you that reflected how I felt from our conversation yeah. and truly delighted. I appreciate that so much. When I opened it, I I was bouncing up and down. I was doing my little happy dance. It was so kind of you, yeah. and I appreciate that so, so much. Well, listen, thank you, Stephen. It's been delightful speaking with you, and I thank you for all of the terrific tips and the advice and just the ease of this conversation that you've shared with our audience. And I'm really looking forward to having you come back again soon. So before we say goodbye, I would like to remind our audience to be sure to look for us on iTunes, Amazon Prime, Audible, Apple, honestly, anywhere else you consume your business podcasts. You can't throw a stick on the Internet without hitting your partner in Success Radio, so find us. Take us along on your success journey and go find this book, Trust and Inspire, Stephen M. R. Covey. Stephen, again, thank you so much. You are welcome, Denise. It's wonderful to be on this Your Partner in Success podcast with you. Thank you so much. Get your voice heard. If you would like to launch your own far-reaching podcast, contact Denise Griffiths at yourofficeontheweb.com and go to the podcast tab. 